Welcome to the Grief Observed Podcast. I am your host, Brad Morell, and I truly have an exciting and interesting episode lined up for you today. Uh, before we go there, I want to remind you, if you listen to the Podbean app and uh, only want to listen to certain episodes that may apply to you, you can do that by clicking on the tabs or excuse me, tags drop down. And there you can select options such as spouse, cancer, daughter, father, whatever applies to your story. And that way you don't have to listen to all the podcasts, but just something that uh, relates to your grief story. Also, if you want to be on the podcast to tell your story, uh, just contact me at griefobservedpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find me on my Facebook page under that same title. Um, I mentioned I have a special episode today lined up, and my guest today is Megan Barnes. Now, how I found Megan, uh, I, I was watching some videos of people cleaning headstones, and I, I knew there had to be some awesome story behind why this person was doing this. And I tried contact contacting her, and uh, little did I know her vid videos had been, uh, we'll just say, hijacked from <laughs> another person. And uh, luckily, I'm like, all right, I'm going to post on this person's uh, Facebook page and, and just see why they're not answering their direct mail. And uh, she saw one of my messages and said, I'm the real person. <laughs> so behind the scenes, we finally, finally connected, and uh, I'm glad to have her here. So Megan, I will shut up and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know this is definitely different than the stuff that you usually post about. <laughs> it is. It is. It's it's a good break. Um, it's still kind of in the same genre, I guess, of, of death and passing, but uh, it's... I really found your videos super, super interesting, and uh, and I want people to see that, um, I don't know, there, it seems like there's a love and a passion, and you're cleaning headstones. Yeah, How in yeah. the world did you get into this? Right, <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I've never done a podcast before, so I'm very excited to be on here, but I got thinking after you asked me to do this, I was like, oh my gosh, I have people who listen to your podcast are going through a terrible time in their life from losing someone or something. And they're just really struggling. And I thought, Oh my gosh, here I am. I'm going to get on here excited to talk about hanging out in cemeteries and how, you know, my living friends say that I have more dead friends than, you know, that I should hang out with them sometimes. And I was very worried about things I was going to say. I didn't want to upset anyone, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that one of the big reasons that I do this is this is my therapy. This is, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that I had gotten into just because I was going through something. And there are other people that do what I do as this hobby because of that. They were struggling with addiction or a divorce. It was just really nasty or they lost someone that they love. And that's how they got into it. My story is a little bit different, but going to a cemetery and doing what I do, it's my stress reliever. If I'm having a bad day. I mean, you're, you're a counselor. I'm sure you know that being in nature is the best way to boost your mood, you know, scientifically proven. If you're out there for 10 minutes, you just instantly feel better. I do anyway. Yeah. And this ticks all the boxes for that. You know, you're doing something nice. You're doing something rewarding. And it's also helps me get through stressful situations. So I thought maybe if I can share 
what I do and why I do that. If someone is struggling with something that maybe this is something that they could do to occupy their time, to take their mind off of things, it might help somebody else as well. So. Yeah. I've, I've been to, uh, I've been to a lot of graves and cemeteries and I've seen, Mm different levels of care when I go to those places. (laughs) And when I think about, you know, when we lose someone we love, um, Mm -hmm. even though their, their physical body is, um, we'll just say at rest. And, and I know different Mm -hmm. people have different beliefs. I definitely believe in an afterlife. So I feel Mm -hmm. like the people I've lost in this life, they're no longer here, but I also want to know that, wherever their physical body is, that it's a place mm-hmm. that is a place of honor, a place of memorial right. and, and still a place of care for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the times that I want to go back there and, and just remember. Right. So I've seen different levels of care, uh, given to grounds there. And, oh, absolutely. and yeah, I know that you've come across some headstones that just look rough. Like they've, they've not seen daylight or, uh, you know, just moss ridden, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, those are my favorites. I think, um, I do this with one of my friends, Mel and my cousin, Jimmy, uh, they go with me and it's, it's interesting because every time I take someone with me, to go do this. I have to stop calling it a weird hobby. It's an unusual hobby, (laughs) but every time I take someone, it could be one of my friends or family, or even my students go with me sometimes because, you know, I've never had anyone say, this is creepy. This is awful. Every one of them says, I completely understand now why you do this. This has been so rewarding and just so relaxing. And it, that's a big part of it too. It's, it's kind of nice, but we work in probably 20 different cemeteries now. Um, yeah. So I'm from central New York. So in our County, there's something like 280 something cemeteries, which is insane. But when you take a look at them, a whole lot of them are abandoned cemeteries. Only maybe a handful of my 20 are still considered active cemeteries where people are still being buried there. There are places that you know, someone's mowing the lawn. (laughs) The rest of them are in the middle of the woods on a four-wheeler trail, a deer path to get to, and they've just been completely forgotten about. And those are my favorites. You know, I think that's one of the fears of people Mm -hmm. that are still living is, will I be forgotten whenever I'm gone? Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. I think whenever you talk about these, these graves that are kind of off the beaten path, in a way... Um, a lot of them have been forgotten. So when I watched your videos, that was one of the things that uh, really stood out is the fact that Mm -hmm. you do the research on some of these headstones that you're cleaning and you find out, you know, these people, they had a life, they had a family, they had a story. And uh, one of my favorite things to say is everybody has a story. You know, we all have a little good and bad sprinkled in there, but everyone has a story. And that's my biggest fear is that, these people have just been completely forgotten about. So I'm going to go ahead and just front load the, the toughest question of the day. And, and it probably will end that way, but uh, <laughs> what will they say about you when they come to your headstone? Right. Um, they'll probably say I've lost my mind. I am involved in a ton of things. Um, 
a little bit about me. I, I'm a middle and high school science teacher. I have been for the last 23 years. And most people are really surprised that I'm not a history teacher, but I just kind of accidentally got into this. Um, you know, I I have my my kids. I call them my kids. I don't have my own kids. I have two fat black labs that are my kids, Freddie and Bella. <laughs> I, you know, I'm senior class advisor. I'm the vice president for my school's teacher union. Um, when I'm not doing that, I help run weddings in our family barn. Um, I bought a church because why wouldn't you? It was from 1895 that my great, great grandpa bought or he helped build it. Sorry. And they were going to demolish it to turn it into a parking lot this summer. So um, I just got exciting news today that they put the I-beams in underneath it and I'm going to move it up to our family barn where we can restore it eventually. So that's big. When I'm not doing all of that, I do uh, presentations about my cemetery work and just try to restore or not restore so much as preserve historic cemeteries. So that's the ones that I work on are, I don't work on any that are recent. And for me, I mean, 1900s, <laughs> you know, okay. these yeah. people that lived in the 1700s and passed away, usually in the 1800s, early 1900s. Those are the ones I work on. And um, I think that's, you know, I, I'm also writing a book. And it's funny when they do the about the author part, I actually ended up writing kind of my obituary that included all of those things. Wow. <laughs> wow. Those are the things that I would be because my book is about the stories that I've uncovered from the people whose headstones I've cleaned. So I thought it wouldn't be fair if I share their stories and not share mine. So that's me in a nutshell. And how I got into this is completely accidental. <laughs> that is that is so awesome. Um, do you have a book title yet? Yes, it's called Stories from the Stones. Mm, nice. And one of my students, my former students, is an amazing artist. She drew me this beautiful cover that says Stories from the Stones and put a headstone drawings on the front and put the names of the people who are in the book. And it's great. Hopefully it's on Amazon shortly. But my editors have it right now, and I'm sure I'm going to have a little bit to fix when I get it back. But yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of things all at once, Brad. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And uh, I, I feel I feel your pain and you're actually the second author I've spoken with today. And uh, I I don't know. I feel for anybody writing a book. I wrote one two years ago and uh, I, I swore it'd probably be the last. It's, <laughs> it, it is a process. Yeah. So. And uh, this isn't going to be that hard. I already have life stories. It's life stories of 55 people and I've cleaned probably hundreds and hundreds of headstones. So I had to kind of pick and choose and I already had the stories, right? I just had to put them on there, but yeah, wow. it's been the before and after of their headstone before when I found it and then what it looks like now years later when it's looking much better anyway. So, so before I get into the passion and, uh, mm -hmm. I've already got a question for that part, but I want to know like what, what got you into this? Yeah. Like I said, it was completely accidental. And, you know, like I mentioned, I'm a teacher and if you know any teachers, I think a lot of people assume that we just have the summers off and we're just, you know, out partying and <laughs> relaxing, <laughs> reading books and everything. And, you know, and that sometimes happens, but we are also under a lot of pressure from board of education or administrators to work on our curriculum, to make it even better than, the next year. So it was July of 2021. I had been stuck to this computer listening to a, someone who isn't a teacher tell me how to be a better teacher. And it just got to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm done. <laughs> and I shut my laptop and I decided to take the dogs for a walk. And I live near a lake and the dam that's right there. We were walking down to the dam and as we're headed back, 
it's probably a hundred feet across from where my house is. This is a little patch of woods and they're off, you know, trying to kill squirrels. And um, I see this headstone and I didn't even know there was a cemetery there. And it's just being eaten by this huge tree. It's just wrapped mm-hmm. around it. And as I'm reading the name is George Peckham and he died in 1831. And I'm just thinking, holy cow, here's this man who had a life. You know, he was 50 something years old. And um, I've since learned a ton of things about him, but I thought, how awful that, you know, the Peckham name is a pretty big name around here still. And I don't think that any of them know he's here. Mm. No one has been other than, you know, somebody like me just wandering through in almost 200 years was the last time somebody was buried there. And I started to look behind him and there's another headstone propped up in a woodchuck hole, Joseph Manchester. And I thought, this is awful that they've just been left like this. So I, um, was not interested in doing any curriculum work after that. I came back and I tried to get a hold of anybody I could that owned that cemetery. And I got a hold of the town that I live in. And I said, do you guys mind if I go in and like weed whack and try to maybe stand the stones back up, maybe eventually clean them or whatever. And they were like, sure. <laughs> you know, they were like, that's weird, but go ahead. Um, so when I was over there weed whacking all day, just, you know, completely covered in mud and ticks and poison ivy and everything that goes along with maintaining a cemetery, when it got too dark out, I'd come home and I tried to research the best ways to clean headstones, which we can talk about later because there's way more <laughs> wrong ways to do it than right if anybody wants to get into this. But I also, it was kind of rubbish at genealogy research back then, but I was trying to find as much as I could about these people. And I found out there's six people on an old cemetery list that were buried there, just six. And I've since found another one, um, mm. a, little, a little kid, but his name is John Brown. And he died when he was one year old between census records. His headstone so far is the only proof I can find that he even existed. And those, you know, those kind of become my favorites. They're the heartbreaking ones that, you know, his parents is, aren't buried here. Nobody else in his family is here. He's there just with these other six strangers to him. So, I started working on that and school had started by that point. It was September and my very best friend that I teach with came over this the first week of school for a very much needed decompression cocktail on my porch. <laughs> and by the time she had gotten there, I had already been in the cemetery for like an hour and I, I come back and I'm covered in dirt and she looks at me and she's like, what is going on? And I said, you know, I found the cemetery. I've been working on it and trying to clean it up and I've learned about their lives. I'm like, do you want to go over? And take a look at it. And she just looked at me and she said, no, <laughs> not at all. She goes, I love you to pieces, but no. <laughs> and she was joking, but she said, you know, I'll tell you what, why don't you film yourself cleaning a headstone? You can tell me about the person's life in the video and I'll watch it on my couch. And, you know, and she was completely kidding around, but I thought, you know, that's not a terrible idea. <laughs> and like many people during the pandemic, we're all locked in our house and out of boredom. I had downloaded TikTok and I know a lot of people love it. TikTok or hate TikTok. I've seen it change people's lives completely. The things that are on there are just, you know, at that time they were limiting you to three minute videos about dance moves or how to catch the biggest walleye or recipes or whatever. And I thought this would be great. TikTok is such an easy platform to use to make videos. And plus it takes me 30 minutes roughly to clean a headstone and I can compress it and fast forward down to three minutes. And then I can add what the headstone looks like a year later when it's nice and clean again. But then I also can go back and do a voiceover of the person's life. 
So I started doing that and sharing it just with my friends. My TikTok account was very private because I was kind of embarrassed about you know, how people were going to react to what I was doing. And they loved it. So then I said, they convinced me to start sharing them on Facebook, you know, with people who had already agreed, at least on Facebook, to be friends with me. So I started doing that and they loved it too. And I got brave a couple months later and I squished the little toggle on TikTok from private over to public. And I thought, you know, I don't care if nobody watches my videos about these people. I love doing it. And I all of a sudden had 77 followers after a couple of weeks and I was super excited. And then something happened about six months later, I had posted a video that I wasn't even going to share because I was kind of worried about how people would react to that story. And I went to school the next day and some of my students said, oh my God, Miss Barnes, you went viral. <laughs> and I said, I'm 44. I have no idea what viral means. And they were like, <laughs> for, they said, for whatever reason, TikTok took your video and pushed it out to all these people. So all of a sudden now I had over a hundred thousand followers and then it just wow. kept growing, growing and now it's over 400,000. Well, and I feel really privileged that you came on my little podcast here. <laughs> yes, I, I'm such a huge deal. No, no, it's the kids I think are jealous that I have more followers. Their old lady teacher has more followers than they do. <laughs> well, I hope you're not considered old because uh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> to, to my students, I, I am. <laughs> sure, sure. So that's kind of how I got into this. And then um, the more I shared, the more people around me said, you know, I have a cemetery in my backyard and I would love to have something done with it. And I'd work with them to try to get it fixed. And then towns would contact me or I would contact them and ask if I could go and work in their cemeteries just to work on the historic stones. I'm not going to work on, you know, unless I got requested to clean a headstone of somebody who had recently passed away within the last 10, 20 years. Um, I'm not going to touch those um, because they still have someone to care for them. Um, but yeah, that's that's in a nutshell how this accidentally happens. And I ended up <laughs> a middle-aged lady on TikTok. <laughs> Gen Xer <laughs> on TikTok, my students say. <laughs> that's all right. No, I I, yeah. I absolutely. And, and I will encourage everyone. I'm going to put your uh, YouTube channel in the show description. And I encourage everyone listening to go out and just watch this. I... I'm not overplaying it when I say it is an artwork. It really is. And, uh, you know, I told you um, yesterday when we uh, made contact again, just to, to make sure today was going down, that yeah. my dad was really excited about this one. And uh, yeah, yeah, because he, he is, um, he has cleaned a few headstones mm -hmm. in, I'll say, the cemetery that I'll be buried in. And mm -hmm. uh, that's where my grandfather, grandmother, and and a lot of our family friends are buried. And yeah. uh, it's it's behind a church in in the area. And I've I don't even know that I've ever set foot in this church, but it's like this is a beautiful part of the country. Oh. And uh, I just I want to be buried with my family. That's important Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. So, um, so more than anything, I want him to listen to this and make sure he's not doing it wrong because he's like. Yes. You know, he, he's, uh, I was talking to him, um, I guess a few days ago and he's like, do you know the angel that's in the middle of the cemetery? And, you know, mm -hmm. he's like, it used to be just black as coal and now it's just white yeah. and pristine. And so anyway, I want to make sure he's not damaging nor any of my listeners go out right. and damage headstones. So 
Right. Let's it's get hard. a little bit of the technical knowledge from you. Like what, sure. how do you do this? Yeah. I mean, there's cleaning headstones is one of those things where common sense is not the way to go. Uh, you know, you think of the things that we use to clean stuff, right? Bleach, degreasers, grill brushes, all of that. Pressure washing, right? Pressure washers. Yeah. You would think that those things are common sense, but when it comes to headstones, especially the ones I work on, the historic ones, they were never meant to have any of that stuff happen. Um, To go through like sandblasting or pressure washing. I know there's whole companies that pressure wash headstones and, you know, I do what (laughs) I'm a very, um, I don't want to be judgy, but I also know that after the research that I've done and as, as an earth science teacher, I know that when the reason it looks so pretty and shiny as soon as you're done is because you've completely taken that top layer of grains off and that's where the writing is. And the a huge amount of the stains that are on headstones is like you talked about the moss, the lichen, but the other stuff that makes it gray or black, especially on historic marble stones that were white to start with, with a mirror finish on them. Mm. They, the reason they're that color is because mold, mildew and algae has grown into those stones. So when you take that top layer of stones off the, the grains to get that stain out, you're, you're really damaging the stone a lot. You've taken that whole top layer off to get to those grains. And when that does that, especially marble that's very porous, water then can soak in behind those grains and you get the freeze-thaw cycle. And as water freezes, you know, it expands and it pulls those other grains off. So I can very often tell exactly which headstones have been pressure washed or even worse, sandblasted, because they'll have a pile of the marble dust around the bottom of them. Um, And it's really sad because there's no way to stop it and there's no way to, to reverse that damage. I mean, even done one time and, and people do it and they're like, well, I pressure wash stones all the time and they're fine. I'm like, yes, well, go back, go back a couple of years from now and take a look at that stone and see what it looks like. There's an entire cemetery that's near me where they hired a company to come in and pressure wash them probably 10, 15 years ago. I would say 80% of the stones in that cemetery now, you can't read them at all. Wow. They have granulation on them. You can see the crystals and there's no writing. You can see there was dense where the writing was, but it's just completely destroyed. That's so sad. Using metal grill brushes or metal scrapers, that does the same thing. The good the good rule of thumb is to not use anything that is basically harder than a toothbrush. <laughs> mm. You want your tools to fall apart before the headstone does. Granite that we use today, much tougher, but you're talking when the people first moved to this country, the earliest settlers to the United States, they use slate. And then slate, they found delaminates where it comes off in layers and they switched over to marble because you need to get the Victorians and they were very fancy and, you know, they mm-hmm. wanted the shiny white headstones and, you know, but that, those don't stand up to acid rain either. And then we switched over to granite in Gabbro, which is what we use now. But yeah, they, there's lots of ways to do this. It's just wrong. Bleach soaks into marble headstones. It causes salt crystals to form behind it and then pop the grains off much like the freeze thaw acid i mean marble's made of calcium carbonate and limestone is too and when you put muriatic acid on there yeah it's going to kill anything that's growing on there just like bleach but acid eats calcium carbonate and there's no way to stop that either plus bleach will leave especially on marble this kind of brownish orange yellow stain on it that's permanent and there's no way to get that off so 
lots of wrong ways to go about doing this dish soap degreasers all of those are terrible i went to one cemetery where they got sick of weed whacking around all the headstones so they started spraying roundup around them but roundup is completely terrible to marble but also other headstones it soaks right into it and, and it does humans, I, right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly any kind of weed killer like that you know i get it Weed whacking in a cemetery. You know anybody that mows in cemeteries? It's the hardest job, really. You have to get around everything and not hit anything because they snap right off. But the the weed killer, not only does it damage the headstone, but it also completely destroys the soil and it turns it back into sand. So then you have these ground-held headstones that are just meant to be stuck in the ground without really a base on them that weigh several hundred pounds in sand and they tipped over. So then they started putting them in cement, which is also really terrible for them as well to set them into cement because it traps the moisture and it eats away at the stone and then they crumble off at the bottom and snap off. And then there's not really any way to fix that. So, yeah, those are the really terrible things that I would try to stay away from. Can I ask about one that uh, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but uh, there, there's the the chemical or I don't know, you can get it at Lowe's, the wet it and forget it. That one is actually okay. <laughs> Dad, if you're listening, you're safe. <laughs> I mean, the results are probably not going to last as long as you hope. You'd have to probably do that every year or a couple of times a year to get it back the way. Um, but yeah, you're looking for something that's a mild biocide. And that's what I use. Um, when I started looking into this, it, it seemed like there was one name that kept popping up more than anything. And then when I looked at, you know, the National Cemetery Association and, and Arlington National Cemetery and what do they use to get those stones to stay so stinking white. Yeah. And they use this stuff called D2 Biological Solutions, just the letter D and the number two. Um, there's lots of places to get it online. I get mine from a company called Atlas Preservation. Um, and I go through it by the you know, five gallon to hundred gallon buckets basically, but, and it is a little bit pricier, but for somebody who's looking to do just a couple of headstones, just getting a spray bottle of it for 18 bucks is going to last. You could do three or four headstones with just a spray bottle, but that's the best way to do it. It soaks into the stone. You let it sit for 15 minutes and you don't even have to do anything. You can walk away. And what it does is it soaks into the stone without removing any of the grains and it kills the stuff that's growing on the stone. It does take a really long time though. And that's what a lot of people don't like. When I volunteer to clean somebody's, you know, grandma's headstone, I got to say, listen, it might take a year before it looks better because it's, it's a very slow acting biocide. It works best when it's wet. So I said, we were going to wait for rain. And every time it rains, it's going to make it even better. But it can last, I mean, the stones I've cleaned from two, three years ago look great but it took wow. that long to get to it yeah but if somebody is willing wanting to do this i think i skipped over the most important step and that is getting permission mm. when you are burying someone in your family you're buying the plot you're owning that land you're owning the headstone it is and then so many people are saying why do you do this isn't that this should be the cemetery's job it absolutely is not in fact it's actually a liability for them to be working on somebody else's headstone that doesn't belong to them. If something goes wrong with that, the family could sue them for doing it. So I've had a couple of cemeteries say, you know, it's just too much of a risk to have you come in and do this. We're afraid, you know, and I have a contract that I fill out that says, you know, if uh, anything is damaged on the headstone because of me, I will replace it. 
Um, wow. If a headstone tips over and crushes me, people have been killed by headstones. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? I mean, they tip over. If you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what to look for. That's what happens. Um, so I have a contract just saying, you know, that they're not liable if I hurt myself and they got to pay for my own headstone. Um, but yeah, getting permission is the most important thing. You're usually okay if it's an immediate family member, you know, child, parents, grandparents, even great grandparents, aunts and uncles, that kind of thing. But it doesn't hurt to ask. But if you, you can't, I think a lot of people are under the impression you can just walk into a cemetery and just start cleaning headstones. You absolutely cannot do that. You have to ask first. And if Mm. it's like the ones like my abandoned cemeteries, I go talk to a landowner and say, hey, do you mind if I go and do this? And once I talk about what I do, then they're usually okay with it. Or if I can't figure out who owns the land, I talk to the town sometimes or the village, they're in charge of that. But yeah, getting permission is definitely really important. So then once I go, I spray it down with D2 and I speed up the process a little bit. I wait 15 minutes for it to soak in. Um, It also is going to turn the stone all sorts of crazy colors. And you're going to think that you've completely destroyed this headstone, but I promise you haven't. It's just a natural reaction of the D2 working with the stuff that's growing on stones, how you know it's working. Um, But it's very temporary. But then after 15 minutes, I take literal toothbrushes or very soft, soft brushes and scrub away as lightly as I can on this whole thing. And then I have a very, like one of those hand pump garden sprayers that I have with water. You know, it's nothing stronger than a hose pressure and just rinse it off. But I don't even have to do that. If people want to just spray it and just leave it, they can, but it Mm -hmm. does take, you know, and then I come back a year later to show at the end of my videos, usually here's what it looks like. So that's what a lot of people don't realize that in order for me to take a video, to do one of those videos, it's about half an hour to clean the headstone. It's about four or five hours of research goes into each one of those, but I have to wait a full year to get the end result before I can post that video. So the videos that I posted recently, they're ones that I did last year. Hmm. And then I have all the ones I just did this summer that won't be ready until next year. So that's the hardest part. It's waiting. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. And it sounds like you just have a love for people in general, like your students, Mm -hmm. your family, um, and and people that you've never met and that were walking on this earth 200 years ago. Like I told them a very sentimental person. I said, I guess that's right. (laughs) You know, I bought a church from 1895. Who does that? And I'm moving at a half a mile. It's silly just because my, it was my grandma's church. And she devoted her life to it. So yes, I, I do. And I treat, like I've told you, I treat every headstone I clean, like they were my grandmother. It's important to me is, you know, when I'm doing research to keep an open mind, there's one story in particular that I learned so much from her story that it kind of changed how I ended up telling their stories and being very careful about what I say that, you know, these people lived 200 years ago. I can find in census records where they lived, who they lived with, what they did, all that information. I can find newspaper articles about them, but I'm never going to know their side of the story, Hmm. you know, of who they actually were as a person. And like I said, there was one in particular that taught me an awful lot about that, but it's a, that's a really rough story, but I, Hmm. I can share if you want to, but it's a tough one. But yeah, that I think my favorite part of this is making sure that maybe their memory can live on a little bit longer. Somebody told me that you die twice. And I don't know if you've heard this before, that you die, the first time you die is the time you take your last breath. And the second time you die is the last time somebody says your name out loud. 
And that is a huge part of why I do this. I will go in a cemetery and sit down with a headstone and I don't know anything about this person. And I sit there in silence and I listen to the birds and the, and what the wind and, and, and just you're alone with your thoughts. And I sit there and I wonder who this person was that I am scrubbing away on their headstone. And I don't get to know that stuff until I get home and I type in all the information I can find about them and, and uncover their story for as much as I can find about them. It's very rewarding. Yeah, I, I wish that uh, you lived closer to Tennessee. I would absolutely learn. I would love to learn from you. And uh, I think it would just be neat to even mm -hmm. just kind of observe what you do. Um, not so much even the the cleaning, but just uh, mm -hmm. you taking it all in and, and really, I, I don't know, thinking, you know, what was this person thinking 200 years ago? What That's were they really doing 200 years ago? You know, what, what their was their was family like? Yeah. like? yeah, their yeah. job. Yeah. I mean, I, I am by far not the only one who does this, by the way. There's, a, you know, I was just talking to two or three or four of my different friends on that I've never met, but I, well, I've met one of them, but I talked to them on TikTok about the things that they do, the exact same thing I do in different mm -hmm. states across the country or in England. Um, there's even one in New Zealand that I've become friends with that uh, does the same kind of thing. And it's, it's neat. So yeah, maybe the, I'm sure there is somebody that's near you or maybe somebody who's listening who wants to take this on as a hobby. It's an expensive hobby, mm. <laughs> but super rewarding. I, we can't clean them all. So yeah, I had reached out to a couple of other gentlemen um, who I, I guess said, yeah, I'll think about the podcast and, and it's, it's okay if it's not for them. It's, you know, it's not for everybody. I certainly appreciate mm -hmm. you being here. But, uh, but you're right. There are a lot of people out there doing this mm -hmm. and I have seen some of those who are doing it the wrong way. Like, yeah. and, and I had seen somebody mm -hmm. post and I don't know if it was you or not, but somebody had actually shown a headstone that somebody had pressure washed and it yeah. looked, you, you could really see that, yeah. you know, much of the stone had eroded away. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, I guess that's one of the reasons why I think, um, I don't know. I wanted to hear your side, but I also want to hear the things to do and not to do because I, I, it would, I guess, break my heart to know that uh, mine or, or a family member's headstone years down the road is deteriorated and our story is lost. You know, Absolutely. it's like, yeah. here, here's a stone and I, I don't even see a name on it like that. That's, that's hurtful. And that's a tricky thing too. You know, I was in a cemetery a couple summers ago and there was a soldier couple that was there and they were cleaning their own headstone, which was interesting, but also their parents. And I said, well, what are you using? And they said, well, the monument company told us to use a 50-50 bleach and water. And I thought, ooh, and I didn't want to say anything, but it is interesting. You even have, you know, professionals who are, monument companies that are saying to do this and in something on granite yes it's not gonna it's not gonna affect granite as much as something like marble but eh, just because they've been doing it for a really long time doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way to do it and i'm not saying i am the end all be all and knowing everything there is to know about headstones but i know that for me and my other headstone cleaning friends that i've made on tiktok we get to see the damage that's done from something like this that you know you're suggesting this and people do it but then we see it years later what it's actually done to the headstone so it's tricky yeah. so i gave them a little bottle of my d2 and i said try this instead see if this works better so <laughs> hmm. 
Yeah. So what's the largest headstone that you've worked on? Oh, um, there is a beautiful one in Stockwell, New York. Um, it's got this gorgeous woman on the top, the statue of this woman who's holding a wreath for peace and she's crying and it's this humongous, it's granite, a big gray granite headstone that has mom and dad and they had originally bought it for their son, Neil. He was 16 years old and he had just turned 16 and he wanted to go to a bigger school down the road instead of a one room schoolhouse. So this is 1800s, of course. And uh, they finally agreed. They let him go live with his uh, grandparents just down the road at a bar bigger school that had like four rooms instead. And he'd only been there for maybe a week and he got um, scarlet fever and then right away got pneumonia. And then he died right after his 16th birthday and his parents, you can just imagine how heartbroken they were and also must've had some serious cash also, but they have this giant granite headstone for the three of them. They never mm -hmm. had any other kids. And on top of that is the crying woman and the crying woman and she's in marble. So it's white. But when I first got to it, it was like black and it was a lot like the one that you talked about the angel, you know, and a crying woman symbolized an untimely death. And she's meant to watch over the person that's buried there. And it's headstone symbols are one of my favorite things to look at. You know, they started off back in England when people couldn't read 15, mm. 1600s. You know, that was how you told the story of the person then. You know, if it was a blacksmith, they would have an anvil or, you know, a fishing vessel or, you know, it kind of told you what the person did, but also they'd have the skull on there, the Montemori, and, and it just, I, how the, what the different symbols mean that they use. I just wish that we used a lot of those these days too. It's very interesting. You just walk around and look at symbols all day. I could do it. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, doing a podcast back, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago when someone had talked about, um, I've got it written down over there, but like the lost art of grief. I think that's what I'm going to call mm -hmm. that podcast. And I don't know how it's going to look yet, but I'll probably dive into the Victorian era a lot because oh, yeah. I think some of the things they did, it was- They are was, interesting buggers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was so, uh, I don't want to say weird, we'll say unique. And yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite things, I used to manage a jewelry store years ago, and uh, one of my great friends was a jeweler, and uh, he had a hair locket, and it was the first time I'd ever seen a hair locket, and I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is so cool, and I, I'm sure a lot of people would think this well, is, creepy, but cool. <laughs> yeah, creepy, right? Um, but I think, you know, it, it's it's okay to keep things, even hair of a loved yeah. one. And and if you mm -hmm. want to make a locket out of it to say, I remember you. Isn't that I really the you. point of all this? Yes. Even, even headstones, yeah. right? I remember yeah. you. Yeah. And I think we've gotten so far away from that in the Victorian era. People, and before that, you know, Revolutionary War time, death was such a common thing. It you know, it's not that they accepted it. Obviously, they didn't like it, but they would, the Victorians incorporated cemeteries into their their lives. Mm -hmm. You would have your family reunion there, have weddings there, have picnics there, include include your dead relatives. But also, you know, they were show offs and they wanted to show off their their the money they spent on all of their their headstones, but they had ponds with swans, and you see the elaborate iron gates around their family plot, and it was it wasn't 
as something is, I guess it's not a taboo. That's not the word I want to use, but today we don't look at it that way. You know, people think of cemeteries as this creepy place where back then that was just a part of their life, part of their town, a place that they all gathered. It wasn't as, as creepy as a lot of people think cemeteries are today. Yeah. It's common to just go there. You know, you look at, uh, course halloween and and all the the mm-hmm. spooky side of things but really yeah. i i find a lot of peace whenever i'm in a graveyard and it's um i don't Nobody know talks to me. i like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey i'm right there with you i i'm definitely an introvert so yeah. I, that's that's a good place for me to be mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think I, I had a couple of other questions i wanted to make sure and get but mm-hmm. you know i'll go ahead and go there First of all, I see you taking great care for, um, again, the people in your life, and of course, these people that you've that, that passed way before you and I were even born. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious: have you had any losses in your life that's been difficult, or just someone well, that you really miss in this life? Absolutely. I think if you had to ask me, my favorite headstones that I've cleaned it's hard because it's like asking you who is your favorite child you know you love them all for different reasons but the the ones that stand out the most are my grandparents you know my four my four grandparents that you know I lost my my grandma I lost in 2018 she's the one that this is the whole reason I'm buying this whole church anyway that was tough that that was really tough so to go and sit and to chat with her and and grandpa while I'm cleaning their heads down and it just that that became a really big thing for me um I you know it'd be silly if this was my hobby and my own family's headstones looked a mess so that would be embarrassing but yeah that going to the cemetery and and trying to just wrap my head around her not being here anymore you know, and all these things, you know, I want to ask her, how come my tomatoes aren't working out? And she would tell me some stupid thing like, well, obviously your garden's in the shade, you dingbat. And it's just those <laughs> kinds of things. I just, just going there. And it, like I said, it's my therapy being there and just, I might look like a goofball talking to headstones, but I also don't care mm. because it helps me. <laughs> yeah. So, it sounds very therapeutic. and It is. It is. And I got to tell you, I mean, it, it, I don't want to necessarily mention this, but a week ago today, um, one of my cousins passed away mm-hmm. and that was the first thing I wanted to do is just go to a cemetery. It's obviously not the best time of year, especially up here in New York to go sit on the ground at a cemetery, but just to be there and just have all your emotions out on the table there by yourself and just, you know, be able to feel closer. I knew doing grief work for me, um, and I do have the tendency to absorb a lot of emotion from other people. Oh, I'm, sure. Um, I, I'm sure you take a lot of this work into yourself as well. Um, I, I guess maybe a, a twofold question. Number one, do you uh, have a lot of self-care so that you can kind of shake some of this off? And yeah. And two, has this changed like your meaning of your personal life? Like, has, yeah. okay. 
Yeah, I, you know, my self-care is going to work in headst on headstones in cemeteries this time of year when I can't do it. I can only do it in the spring and the summer and the early fall here because, you know, snow and freezing cold temperatures. Um, so most yeah, women are going to get their hair done and nails done and you're going to clean headstones. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, the secretary at school, my friend Mel, she has gone with me since the day one and I'll see her in the morning and she's like cemetery. And I'm like, yep, I'll see you at three 30. Wow. As soon as that bell rings and we have, we, sometimes we plan it the night before our car is already loaded with all of our things. Um, yeah, that's, that's my self care that and it's such a crazy thing. If you told me five years ago, this is what I would be doing. I would have thought you were nuts, but that's, that's definitely my self-care and what was your, I'm sorry. What was your question? Yeah, I, I always ask immediately because my ADHD will be mm -hmm. off to the races and I'll forget, but, uh, my brain is ironically, all day too, so. <laughs> ironically, I do remember my second question and it's how has this affected the meaning of your life? I think when I research people and I learn about their lives and, um, the saddest ones, for me are the ones I feel like I've let them down because I can't find anything about them. And they were like the little kids that I told you that, you know, they didn't even have a chance to live. And I feel like I can't find anything about them. And I feel terrible about that. But 1800s women, those are the toughest ones. And they um, mm. had, you know, they were living their lives. They were doing their things. They were raising their babies and taking care of their house and their husband. And they were, when they were kids, they were known as the child of their father's name. And then they got married and then now they're misses in their husband's name and they had no identity. So when mm. I'm trying to search for them, I have to look for their father and for their husband. And it just makes you appreciate where we are today. But, you know, it's not like they were trying to change the world. They were doing their thing. And I don't know. I think after all of this, I've decided to start living with a little more pizzazz. Yeah. Which is probably why I'm involved in way too many things. <laughs> but there are things that I absolutely love and I'm passionate about. And that's all led to this. The people that I've met because of this hobby has just been amazing. And I think that I could never go back to being bored ever again. I think that's what this has all taught me. <laughs> yeah. You know, not take life for granted. You think about it. And I was just talking to my cousin about this. You never know when it's your time that at any moment to think that your family and friends could be attending your funeral in three days from now. Mm. We make plans for the future, but we have no idea when that's what's going to happen. And, you know, and I think about my cousin who passed away just very suddenly last week, he had no idea that that was going to be his last moment. And the people in my stories, they had no idea they woke up that morning and this was going to be their last day and just to not take it for granted. Do the things, even if they're scary, do them. What's mm. the worst that's going to happen? You know, uh, you know, I'm not endorsing people to become drug addicts and bank robbers and murderers, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> just don't. I'm not afraid to just take on things anymore and do yeah. the stuff that I want to do. That's what it's taught me. Very I long answer, very short question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's great. That's great. And and I would say that uh, I think a lot of my life has been riddled with fear of some. I don't know. Like I hate to fly and it's like, well, um, if that plane is going to crash, it's going to be a quick, what, three minutes, maybe <laughs> it's, right. it's so go fly to the places. Right. Um, 
you know, but I think fear does keep us from doing a lot of things. And when you know that, yeah, today could be it. Um, Absolutely. Why not live? Choose. And, and there's a difference between existing and living, right? Absolutely. It's, um, any of us can, can keep breathing that, that doesn't take a lot of effort, but to go out and live life, um, it does take mm -hmm. effort. So I am curious on one other thing that, uh, I have always enjoyed going to, I think it's findagrave.com. I, I, I think that's the website and, um, and it's really interesting, especially I always go to find like famous people's graves and, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I went to to Graceland again for the second time this past summer. And mm -hmm. uh of course now Lisa Marie and her son are buried there. And um mm -hmm. I don't know, it's but I, I think the find a grave is a great tool. Whenever you um I have an app for it on my phone, I use it every day. Do you? Okay. And <laughs> I'm just curious, like, is there ways that you update that for the, the graves that you attend to yes, or no? You can. I mean, there are find a grave volunteers all over and it becomes kind of like a, I don't know, some people I think are way too into it for, you know, just have as many headstones as possible. It's like geocaching, right? <laughs> it is. And the only problem I have with it are people that are doing that, but it's somebody who just passed away. And mm. automatically they're adding it to find a grave. And I just feel like just give it a break for a minute. I mean, it's different if it's my 200 year old deaths being added. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I can, if, if somebody is in charge of a particular um, person on find a grave, you can suggest edits. Um, and okay. I do that a lot. And it's, and sometimes it gets to the point where the person's like, holy cow, you know a lot about them. I'm just going to sign rights over to you so you can maintain that on find a grave, which is fun. So I now have a whole cemetery that was all these other people that are now under my care because, you know, once I clean their headstone, they're, they're my people and I get very protective of my people. And that's what you'll notice if you watch some of my videos, I, I very rarely say where my abandoned cemeteries are um, because one, they're on private land and I don't want people to trespass, but two, I am terrified that, you know, the one who was a murderer and, um, kind of killed her children and mm -hmm. it's a whole long story but i i am terrified that someone is going to go there and just trash the entire cemetery for that reason so yeah find a grave though is a great resource i mean you can pull it up and it's a map and it, it, you should look at all the cemeteries just in your area and you can start walking towards them and it's really kind of neat it tells you exactly who's buried there um that they have records for at least for headstones you can upload photos on there so if you're doing research and you know, your family's in Ireland and I don't want to, you know, I'd love to go to Ireland, but if I'm researching all the way over in Ireland, I can just jump on from my couch and be able to see somebody that I might potentially be related to and, and who they're related to on there is also linked and where those people are buried. It's amazing resource. There are mistakes, but it's, it's a really great resource if you're looking for genealogy stuff. I think um, I had mentioned to you on our phone call a couple of weeks ago about uh, the guys that came on my podcast that have the QR codes. It's QR life. And, yeah. um, and, and I have done that for my grandfather. I've not put it on his headstone yet. And uh, it's, it's got just a little bit of adhesive, like, it, you mm -hmm. know, I don't want to drill into his headstone with this thing. It's, it, it is a stainless steel, 
Um, but but I, I feel no no problem with putting this this thing on. But but I think that's also a really cool way to, you know, for passerbys to be like, okay, yeah, I can read a name, I can read a date, you know, and I may be able to read a little bit of a, you know, dad was a great man, whatever, on this headstone. But I like the idea of somebody being able to pull out their phone in today's technology and being like, wow, here's this guy's yeah. obituary. Here's a video of him interacting yeah. with his kids. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, I've i thought about that. So I, I, before I even knew this was a thing, I thought, how amazing would that be if somebody could just scan something that I put next to the headstone on a little metal thing? Yeah, and yeah. Scan that and then maybe watch my video or at least get the information that I collected about this person. So when you're walking through the cemetery, they don't just become stones with names on them. They become real people and you can know about their life. And, you know, I want to walk through the cemetery I have right down the road here and be able to scan a code and be like, Oh, she had tea with her mm. twice a week. And Cornelius's horses got away and Aruna caught them and they're, a few headstones apart from each other and see how interacted they are. I think that would be such an amazing thing to have in a cemetery. But like I told you, I clean hundreds of headstones every summer to be able to afford a QR code for all of my headstones would be, I, there would be some lottery winning would have to be happening. <laughs> it's amazing that, you know, I sit here and think, um, you know, when, when we pass, you know, we're, we're no longer able to interact physically with others, but it seems like, the art that you do, and I, I still will refer to it as that, it it allows those voices from the grave to still pop out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And as long as I do a good job at researching, which I try to be, I try to be very meticulous in my details. There's only one I've really screwed up. I ended up following the wrong name, but I ended up doing a rebuttal video to apologize to poor Charlie for screwing up his video. So, but yeah, I sharing them is, I think, important. I'll leave you with one more question before I give you the open floor, but oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like there's any story above all that has just really resonated with you that, uh, that you'll never forget? Yeah. I, I think it's the one that I talked about the lady that completely changed how I share videos. I was told about this story and it's a lot. Um, I'll give you the Disney version of this. Uh, I was told by the, our county historian and he said, Meg, I think you should hear this one. It's something it's, you know, I think you'd be interested in it. And he said, I'm really interested in finding the headstones for this family. And I just cannot find them. I know the cemetery, it, you know, and the last time anybody even mentioned that they had a headstone was at least 20 years ago. And this lady's name is Mary. And she was from England and, you know, in the 1800s, you did what your husband told you to do. And she had two brand new babies. You got no vote. And he decided they were going to move to the United States. And she absolutely didn't want to go. But like I said, she didn't have a choice. So she came and they ended up in central New York area, central New York state, I should say. And so I say central New York. Some people think I think downtown Daddy. New York city. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they moved up here and long story short, uh, Mary ended up having five kids total and, you know, just in the five years that she had been in this country, she was very unhappy. She had tried to end her life three different times. Um, and she kept having babies every time in between. Mm. And, you know, her husband was a bit of an alcoholic and she felt like she was stuck. And one day 
it was March 23rd of 1856. Um, she couldn't take it anymore. And she ended up <sighs> killing four of her five kids. Mm. The oldest one, um, Charlie, he was six. He outran her. And then you had Emma, who was uh, four. Elizabeth was three. Nettie was two. And William was two months old. And the neighbor stopped her before she could end her life as well. Um, she ended up going to a lunatic asylum. And after three years of brutal treatments, she was cured and allowed to leave. And um, her husband, in the meantime, picked her up and took her home and had gotten married to someone else. So the three of them are living quite harmoniously together. Along with them is the now 11-year-old Charlie, who heard his mom say that her only regret was that she didn't end her life and his. Mm. I can't imagine. That's it. You know, it's not funny, but it is cracks me up when people say, we need to return to simpler times. You have no idea how awful it was <laughs> back right. then. You know, the medical practices we had, you have to assume, you just accept the fact that your kids are probably going to die before you. Um, it was really terrible. And I think this is a perfect example of that. So my cousin and I would go there. It's 40 minutes away to get to this um, this cemetery. And you have to drive a half a mile back in the woods on private land on a four-wheeler trail to get to that. And you get there and there's 20 foot tall rose bushes that have the biggest thorns you've ever seen in your whole life. And, I'll, and growing on top of all of that is poison ivy. And the crawling on all top of that is ticks. And there's a, a widow maker tree, which is a tree that's been cut off and is leaning against this other one right in the middle of the cemetery that, you know, could fall at any moment. And it was not the cemetery that had been visited ever, really. And some people had actually dug up the coffins of their loved ones to take it to a, a nicer cemetery that you could actually visit without bringing the dirt to fill back in the hole. So you had to be very careful where you're walking or you're going to fall into this three foot deep hole where a coffin was. It was a lot. This cemetery was, my friend Mel said, is a very ungrateful cemetery of all the ones we've done. Um, but I think what I learned from this is that for three months, we'd go home after working five hour days, bleeding. Like I went to the ER twice with poison ivy and they said we can't tell the difference between what's poison ivy bites or you know poison ivy and what's tick bites and i said yes i know so you just defeated after three months of trying to go to at least find the kids headstones that's what i wanted to find mm. because i thought if anybody deserves to be remembered it's these poor babies and you know we were joking around calling her bloody mary and it was just kind of awful the whole situation is just terrible until it got to be the end of three months. And we said, you know what, for whatever reason, on the way there, Jimmy and I had a, a different conversation and something flipped. And I said, you know, what if this wasn't really her fault? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, you know, her husband was an alcoholic. I think she obviously had some serious postpartum depression going on. She'd been yanked away from her family. She hated this life. And I said, it's almost crazy to say this out loud, but what if she did that out of love? that she was just fearing for her children to have this terrible life as well. And I know like, it sounds insane to say something like that. And I said, you know, here's the thing. Let's go. Let's not even look for her. Let's not look for the kids. Maybe she just doesn't want us to find her. And we went and stopped and cleaned her grandson's headstone on the way in a different cemetery. And just in silence, I wasn't going to videotape it. I, I knew all about Howard, but I wasn't going to say anything about him online. And and we did that and it was lovely. And then we went down the road and we get to Mary's Cemetery and I pull in and half the cemetery is in the shade and the other half is in the sun. And we hadn't been there in a week and these weeds grow so fast. And, you know, in this shaded part of the cemetery, about halfway back is this weed that popped up. It's already three feet tall. 
and it's in this beam of sunlight on the shaded part. And there was this feather about 10 inches long, just perfectly balanced on top of that, that weed. And it was in the sunshine and Jimmy walked over and he picked it up and he turned around and he showed it to me. We didn't say anything. And then he turned back around and he noticed right behind him was a tree back behind the edge of the cemetery that had this piece of barbed wire sticking out of it. And he said, you know, Meg, I think where we think the back of the cemetery is, is not really the back of the cemetery. And I said, you know what? I think you're right. Because right next to that tree is a giant rose bush. And why would a rose bush be in a cemetery? Because somebody had planted it there. And it was 10 feet tall, 10 feet wide. And he hacked away at that sucker. And I poked the ground. And I think I poked about twice and hit something solid. And I got some of the dirt away. And I see this little lamb on this white-ish stone. And a lamb signifies the innocence of a child. And I brush it away. And there I see Emma. And then I see Nettie and Elizabeth and William, the, the names of the four kids. And right underneath it, it said child of Mary and her husband's name died March 23rd, 1856. And I thought, holy cow, I sat right down and I just cried because I mean, it was just such a emotional roller coaster to be learning about this family and the awful things that happened at this trial and everything that she went through and the family went through. And then we got up and we danced a little bit and then I poked around and then two feet away from the kids was Mary's headstone under the dirt. And the second wife was uh, on there as well, who was listed as domestic servant. So it wasn't until we saw that, uh, you know, she was the second wife of this guy that we knew that they actually were married. He was being very sneaky. But I think, I don't know if it's coincidence or if you believe in the, the signs and that kind of thing. I really think that it wasn't until we accepted and we kind of changed our tune a little bit about maybe she, I'm not except, you know, what she did was awful, but sure, sure. understand maybe a little more what she's, where she's coming from, that maybe that was when she was okay with letting us figure out where she was, or we, we would never have found it if that didn't, if he didn't find that feather in that exact spot, we'd still be looking today. And I, that Mary taught me that, when I share these videos, I have to understand, like I said before, I'm never going to know their side of the story unless right. I find a diary. There's no way I'm going to know their side of the story and that I should always show a little grace in what I'm sharing and try not to assume things and just say, oh my gosh, based on this, you're a terrible person. You know, my grandma, who I lost, that I talked about, one of the things she told me is if you've lived the life of someone else, there's not a single person on this planet you would hate because you would understand exactly where they're coming from. And I think she's absolutely right. And I try to keep that in mind when I do this work. So there's my most memorable one. <laughs> Talk yeah. Me about. Yeah. No, I, uh, you know, it, it does make me think that w we never know what's going on in somebody else's mm -hmm. four walls, you know, yeah. and, and we assume, and I, I've seen mm -hmm. in my life where people have assumed things about me that were wrong, or I've assumed mm -hmm. things about them that were wrong. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we, you know, it's judging and judgment is just one of those things about human nature. But uh, it, it's really neat to hear that different view of a story that, you know, people probably assumed that she just hated life, hated her children. And and like you yeah. said, there's there's because another side to that, that story. I assume that too, because why else would someone do something like that? It must sure. have been, there was something that happened that made her do something like that. And I'll never know 
what that thing was. Yeah. And again, it's not a, a way to justify those losses by any means, but at the same time, mm -hmm. it's uh, there. She had a thought process that uh, right. wasn't yours or mine, you know, who no. knows what she was thinking. And, and, you know, you talked about the asylum and things that was way more common back then, you know, oh, they, yeah. they tried to abolish most asylums, you know, yeah. and uh you know, the, there was no therapy. There were no counselors back then. It no, was, no. you know, and I tried to figure out what kind of things happened to her when she was in there. And lobotomy was the first thing I thought of electroshock, but none of those were done until about 60 years later in 1930s. And, you know, what they would have done is long forced ice baths. They would um, slit your wrist to let you bleed out because it was, you know, obviously some evil bloodletting. Yeah. Bloodletting and, you know, bathtubs full of leeches and it just, yeah. I mean, the things that she went through, purgatives to just rid the whole body of whatever evil was in you and to go through that in three years and say that she's cured at the end. I mean, that's that's something. Yeah, I was going to say there there had to be some kind of a miracle there for them to release her yeah. and say she was cured, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's and what that makes me think that it was a, more of a postpartum thing that eventually she had, you know not to say gotten over it because I know that's a, that's a tough thing to say, but that maybe that's what it was that she showed remorse and regret. And, you know, yeah, it's interesting. Her, her obituary, which I'm assuming was written by her husband said that she passed away of cancer. This was probably 50, 60 years after her kids. And, um, after a, a terrible struggle with a cancer, she was, um, hardworking industrious woman who was respected by all. And I thought, oh, that's uh, interesting. <laughs> to, it is. That is it obituary, is. You know, and I'm assuming her husband wrote it. And you know, a big part of me hopes that maybe Mary, that was a huge turning point in her life. I don't know. I hope. Yeah. I don't know. It's a it's a crazy story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate you. It was you. the Disney version, Brad. <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the other off offline or something. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Megan, I, I can't thank you enough for just sharing your life, your story, and and your passion with the listeners. And uh, I, I've I've learned a lot in this hour, and it went by. I'm sure. I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and just <laughs> be in awe, serious. <laughs> um, so maybe we'll, we'll bring you on for round two and maybe you can just share more stories at, at a later time or something. Yeah. But I, yeah. I really feel like this uh, opens up people's eyes to uh, just the fact that our life is not just confined or the meaning of our life is not just confined to our living years, yeah. you know, and it's, what do we pass down to our children, our grandchildren, and mm -hmm. even just a teacher from New York, right? Like just that's right. Not that you're just a teacher. Let me let me clarify. <laughs> Teachers work hard. Okay. You, you guys are very hard. But I'm stating, you know, you you're not a direct relative of these people, and yet their meaning carries on to even you. And yeah, I care now, about all of them very much. Yeah. I look forward to uh, the book. I, I'm I'm really anxious. To, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. But uh, anyway, I want to leave you with any last words that you have for us, and uh, you know anything that you think is important or that we missed or just about. 
life yeah. or death? Like, I think, what are your thoughts? I just, I just hope that, you know, after everything I've shared, and I know I can be very long-winded, um, that give it a try. Go to a cemetery and just see how peaceful it is. And if you're struggling with something that this really... I never knew that this could be such a rewarding thing, such a stress reliever to just go. You would never think that this is the place to be, but giving back to the community and getting permission to clean other people's headstones and doing this kind of thing and maybe looking into their life like how I do. For me, that is just a huge sign of respect. That's why I do it. And and it could really, I hope, help people that are listening or are going through things that this, maybe this is an outlet. Maybe this is a way to help you get you through your grief is to spend time with the headstones of the, your family or your loved ones and just be there and be at peace. And, you know, I don't know, maybe it's silly, but hopefully that helps some people. Yeah. I, I don't think it's silly at all. And uh, again, I appreciate you being here. So absolutely. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you listeners for tuning in and uh, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Grief Observed podcast. I've really enjoyed it and uh, you know, I think it's good that we take a break from the norm and and always uh, you know, hearing other people's stories about grief and and just kind of break away and see that there are other portions of grief that uh we don't talk about much and even down to cleaning headstones. So anyway, thanks for being with me and uh, hope to see you or, or at least have you back to listen to the next episode here on the Grief Observed podcast. Have a great day, everyone.